From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. You're listening to 101.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman, and this is the new Blue Review. Welcome to the program. Nice to have you on uh, what I think might actually end up being our final episode for the year. Uh, I know we've got a bit of stuff coming up uh, later on, but not, mm, they're pre-records. I'm not sure if we're actually going to play them uh, this year or not. So it might be the last, uh, the last episode for the year. And what a year it's been, actually. Uh, I think 2018 has got everybody a little bit, uh, a little bit tired, a little bit defensive, a little bit like can't really say it on the radio, but with a G and ends with a full. Um, so yeah, I think it, it kind of is a bit of a, a, a strange year. And uh, it's fine. Uh, we can live with it. Uh, particularly last week, I was—I mean, I wasn't actually in the country, but it just seemed to be that everything was going wrong. You know, we had that issue with Leila Khaled Drive in Sandton, which I think, by the way, is just nonsense. It's going to fall off the radar pretty soon. Uh, and then, and then we had Hamas arriving, and then we had Stellenbosch University going berserk. Uh, and then we had the Masuku uh, hate speech ruling, and then we had the fire at Morishat. It was like, yo, guys, it's December. You know, after the 5th, people are allowed to slow down. After the 15th, uh, you know, they start going on holiday. And by the 25th, if you try and do anything in this country until the middle of January, you are, you know, not going to win. So, I don't know. Clearly, everyone is trying to pack in uh, all of the stuff before the end of the year. So, uh, that's what we're going to do as well on the show today. We're going to be talking about a whole bunch of different things, uh, lots of interesting uh, stuff going on towards the end of the year. We're going to be taking a step back from uh, the Congre- the congressional elections in America. Uh, if you have been following that, uh, there's obviously a big election. And uh, now that the dust has settled there, we're going to be looking at it and seeing what has been the implications because uh, it has been quite an interesting uh, American election, for even for Americans. And uh, we're going to see what, what does it hold in store for us uh, in the next two to four years, depending on when the next election is with regards to that. Then we're going to be looking at uh, an interesting tasty treat that you can uh, have when you go to Israel. Uh, We're going to be looking at the Salad Trail. Salad Trail is an interesting spot if you're down south in Israel, so uh, you can add that to your list of things to do the next time you're in the Holy Land. We're also going to be looking at uh, the Rockets to Roses project, which is uh, quite interesting, and uh, and looking at a new uh, Israeli how how the new Israeli high tech world is starting to positively affect Palestinian society. So that is all coming up uh, on the show today. It should be very very interesting, and uh, yeah, we we look forward to having any of your engagement as well. If you want, you can WhatsApp us oh six one eight nine five one zero one nine. That's on the WhatsApp line. SMS three four five. One nine tweet us at Chayefem, and uh, and we will happily have the discussion with you. So uh, let's do it. Let's have the chat. Let's have the discussion, and uh, we're looking forward to engaging on the show today. Uh, but first, let's get into the mood. It is Monday. It is sort of the last official Monday uh, of the year, really, because next week is a public holiday. Can you believe it? And then it's into Christmas and uh, whatever. So you, you just got to get through the last week. Just got to get through that last week. So. Uh, in order to do that, let's get some good Israeli music going. From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM.
You're back with 101.9 Hi FM. I'm Benji Shulman, and this is the New Blue Review. Welcome back to the program. Nice to be with you on this Monday morning. Now, it has been a hectic election cycle for the U.S. Uh, if uh, you're at all a, a U.S. election monitor, watcher, you know, uh, a, a Trump tweeter, whatever you like. It's like it's like royal watching in in the UK. You know, you used to be able to just check out what the Queen was doing. Now you really have to watch what the Americans are doing, uh, because it's even more important, believe it or not, um, than what is going on. And uh, typically in the American election cycle, the big one is always the presidential election. So that's the one where we have Donald Trump swanning around and Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders and all these people uh, voting for the president. And it's the one that everyone pays attention to. Uh, but in addition to that, uh, you know, there is a um, there is a midterm election, and that's an election where they elect uh, the Congress, which is the representatives from each different uh, district in in America, and then they have also some senators, uh, and the senators are related to uh, the state uh, that you live in in America. It's like the province, so each state gets um, two. Senators uh, per per state doesn't matter how big or small the state is, and then uh, they each have a district of Congress, a Congress member uh, per district, which is you know, apportioned by a certain number of people. So, the bigger your state in population terms, uh, the, the the more number of Congress people that you will have, and so this has an important uh, bearing on what happens in America because then. Obviously, those are the people that make the laws, even if the Americans are the ones who are, or the American president at least is the one who has to action it. So, you know, Congress is very important, and Senate is very important, and this election, uh, which normally actually doesn't get as much attention, the midterms, even in American politics, uh, people tend to uh, take it less seriously, has actually had more votes this year than any previous midterm election in the last 100 years. Can you believe that? So more votes, more interest uh, in this particular election, which shows, I think, the temperature and the engagement that has actually occurred in America in the political realm in the last while. So it is very interesting to see. Of course, at a, at a, at a pure numbers level, uh, exactly what was expected happened. So uh, the Congress... Uh, is no longer controlled by Donald Trump or by the Republicans, rather. Uh, so that makes it quite difficult for them to pass the kind of legislation that they wanted to pass. And in the Senate, the Republicans retain the majority, which means that uh, if you want to pass a law in America, you need both houses to agree on the law. And uh, so if people are not going to be cooperative, you're just not going to get anything done because uh, the one house might vote on something and then the other house doesn't. Uh, and then it's what's called gridlock. So uh, uh, then they have to go back to renegotiating everything. So that is uh, what has been the, the case at the moment. Um, uh, so, you know, that that's kind of where where that is at. Now, that's at the pure numbers level. Quantita- or qualitatively, rather, there has also been a bit of a change. So typically before in in American politics, you've had the two big parties, right? You had the Republicans and the Democrats, and one day one wins and the other day another wins. And uh, generally speaking, on some issues, there's been what's called partisanship, which means uh, – or nonpartisanship or bipartisanship. They have all sorts of words for it. Basically, it means that everyone kind of has to get together at some point and figure out a middle road for whatever it is that they want to do. And that's become more and more difficult, uh, obviously, under Donald Trump because he's not the – 
most easy person to deal with. Uh, but also, actually, under Obama, even before then, um, a, that was also a really big problem. So uh, that's been a very, very big issue that the Americans have been having to deal with. And uh, and particularly on the Israel issue, that's become more and more of a problem, particularly on the edges of both parties. So on the Republican side, uh, a lot of supporters are what you might call the Tiki Torch Parade, right? White nationalists, white supremacists, neo-Nazis uh, who've all been marching through Charlottesville and, you know, doing all these sorts of things. And they are typically Republican voters. And certainly in the primary stages of the Republican nomination process, in other words, the people who they were electing to go to Congress, um, there was a very serious concern that a number of of uh, these sort of white supremacists would get into the Republican Party and then into office. That doesn't seem to have occurred as much as people concerned. A lot of them were washed out in the initial primary phases, but a lot of focus has been uh, from the Jewish media on the so-called alt-right group, uh, white supremacist group, uh, in 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 America, uh, getting in. So that's been on the one side of the 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 coin. On the other side has been on the Democratic Party, uh, which has more and more been infiltrated by um, by the, the literally they call themselves the Socialist Party of America, which is not a Democrat group, but kind of hooks onto the Democrats when they're running for for Congress. Um, and is is far left of anything that is normally in the democratic um, party, and it's it's very very interesting to see that there have been a number of these socialist candidates who've got it in. And most famously, the youngest woman in the Congress, her name is Alexa Cortez, uh, who's been come sort of the the main uh, the main punching bag for Republican uh, for the Republican party they they really see her as a threat she's uh, hispanic she's young she's a woman uh, and she really has very sort of leftward positions including quite critical ones of israel included as that has also been the first muslim woman uh, woman candidates to be elected to to the congress uh, two or three i think uh, including some representatives from minnesota and one who is a somalian and one person who is actually a palestinian american now on the campaign trail people were asked about their position on israel on bds and they all said no 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 we're opposed to bds we want the two-state solution and as soon as they got into office they've already flipped their position and are already trying to promote uh, bds so it remains to be seen how effective this group is going to be they make a lot of noise uh, but there are only two or three people in the wider uh, congressional circuit. So it's going to be interesting to see what this new dynamic does uh, in terms of voting on the Hill and and selecting people. The untold story, however, which is something that I think is interesting and is important for people who are concerned about the Israel-America relationship, uh, is that there's been a record number of State Department officials um, um, former State Department, former public service um, people who have run for public office in unprecedented numbers. So you're talking here like one in five new Congress people are actually from the state, former State Department, former NSA, which is like the FBI, like Mossad, whatever, uh, security cluster kind of people. All people with strong experience in foreign affairs, uh, strong experience in domestic affairs, not just some person who has been elected on local issues to get into the in, into into the Congress. So, 
then I think might be a double-edged sword. On the one hand, it does mean that they have more knowledge about this topic and this issue, which is very important. Uh, on the other hand, State Department has not always been the most friendly to Israel. But I think at least having some experienced people in Congress uh, is is very, very important. So that's uh, the untold story. And I think actually on, on the whole is probably a good story. Uh, we tend to focus on the edges of the party, but it looks as though the American electoral district are still uh, intact. And despite what looks like in America uh, was probably still a good election result. I see here Gimple the Fool uh, has SMS in saying Alexa Cortez claims that she's of Sephardi origin. Yeah, this was actually a debate uh, earlier on in, in the campaign. So that is quite interesting. Be interesting to see where she goes. I mean, she looks, she's not a big fan of Israel, but I don't necessarily think she's a huge enemy either. Anyway, that's what's going on in the American Congress. We're going to take uh, a bit of a break now. We'll be back just afterwards. The best part of your day. At the heart of your community. All the talk. All the music. All the news. Hi FM. I know that uh, things in the Middle East never look good. We have war on the... Um, we have uh, uh, war tunnels on the northern side of the country. We just the last few weeks had a... Um, number of rockets coming over from Gaza and by the way we're going to talk about that a little bit later on so stay tuned if you're interested in some interesting things to do with your Gaza rocket that you haven't thought about but not not right this second um, and of course now we just have this awful story this morning uh, of uh, last night six people being shot uh, in, in Jerusalem there in the West Bank so it's not as if things are always rosy in the Holy Land from a security perspective and uh, you know things are are certainly kind of problematic. However, it is also a good time, uh, even during these sorts of difficult times, to look at where there might be some bright spots and some uh, some hope, I guess, uh, for for any kind of peace that has been going on. And one of them, which I think is very interesting, has to do with the startup world. You know, we, we're very used to hearing uh, in in Israel about the startup nation and high tech and exits and all these things uh, where Israel is changing stuff up and everybody wants to become an entrepreneur and, and, and all this kind of thing. And it's become uh, a place in, uh, as part of Israel, which is has been very, very big. Uh, and uh, and what, you know, it, it's just a big part of the culture. Uh, people, uh, if the American dream, whatever the American dream is today, what was it, like a car and an apple pie? Well, if you're in the Israeli dream, has become, to some extent, to go to Israel, start a company, and uh, and sell it to a big, uh, a big one of the big firms, a Google or a Intel or whatever. And what's interesting about this um, process, if you like, uh, has been that it's starting to rub off on the Palestinians because what's been happening is that slowly but surely over time, you're getting more and more. Uh, multinationals coming into the country. So uh, all the big firms that you can think of, Yahoo, uh, Intel, Google, uh, Cisco, uh, pretty much anybody else that you can think of that is a tech company or a large media company is now putting its R&D centers in Israel so that they can take advantage of the startup nation's engineers and basically be close to the action. Now, what's interesting is that people are... uh, starting to look at this uh, ecosystem, they like to call it an ecosystem, and, uh, and and have started to say, well, look, you know, 
if the if if the Israelis can do it, why can't we? And so, first of all, the most obvious uh, place has been uh, with Arab Israelis. So, uh, Arab Israelis have now started slowly but surely getting into the whole IT startup uh, aspect, which has been very interesting. Uh, and they've done started doing studies on how does a startup look different. Uh, when it's being run by Arab Israelis as opposed to Jewish Israelis. Because, of course, the big boost, if you like, that comes for um, Jews uh, or Israelis when they're starting to do this is that uh, is that they go to the army and that's where they gain a lot of skills. Now, not all Arab Israelis uh, obviously serve in the army, uh, and those who do may not go into the intelligence services. So if you look at the life cycle of an entrepreneur, a high-tech entrepreneur in the Arab-Israeli sector, it might actually come a lot later. They'll go and first work, uh, get technical uh, technical skills in a university, then go work, uh, and then come back and do um, you know, and, and and then start with their high-tech. So they actually have a bit of a longer, um, uh, what's the, like a runway, so to speak, when it comes to actually understanding and getting uh, and getting connected. Uh, with the startup economy, but they are doing it nonetheless. And what you're starting to find is funds that are specifically out there to uh, help Arab Israelis uh, get funding and get the mentorship and support that they need. And they're doing some incredible stuff uh, that you wouldn't believe, everything from gold plating to certain kinds of uh, security things to uh, all sorts of stuff. If you're interested, there's a great group called Takwin, T-A-K-W-I-N, who's working with Arab Israelis to start uh, to get them into the high-tech scene. And that's becoming uh, a bigger and bigger part of it. Of course, uh, typically or, or stereotypically, a lot of Arab Israelis have typically been in the medical sector. Um, then, you know, they, they've always been in the medical sector, but, but high-tech is becoming more and more of a priority. Now, of course, that's the Arab Israelis, but what about the Palestinians? So, interestingly, the Palestinians also have... Uh, some some interesting uh, aspects in. So first of all, um, in the Palestinian areas, there are a number of universities, and uh, the the teaching of math and science, or what they like to call STEM, has actually been uh, has actually been fairly good. And so you have uh, graduates who are coming out who are technically able to engage with the with the startup nation at a technical level. And what you've been having is that these big corporates in, in Israel have started to see uh, the Palestinians next door basically as a resource that can be harnessed uh, for their uh, for their products, particularly because uh, the Palestinian areas are cheaper. Uh, so they can actually offer their services to corporates uh, to, to, to do certain kinds of uh, consulting and that kind of thing, which uh, – which maybe Israelis could do, but but would offer at a more expensive rate. And so, particularly Cisco, which is one of the big um, IT companies, has started reaching out uh, to to Palestinian entrepreneurs and finding them customers in Tel Aviv and around the world, so that they and 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 taking uh, you know their services as well. And so, what you're having all over is a a mushrooming. Of, uh, of Palestinian tech entrepreneurs who are engaging directly with uh, the Israeli economy, uh, working with Israeli engineers, and going all around the world off the back of American uh, IT firms that are operating in Israel. And slowly but surely, it's creating more and more engagement 
uh, with different parts of different societies uh, as they're starting to uh, engage with one another. Now, is it going to be peace overnight? I don't know. Uh, but the truth is, is that this is going to be something which we're going to see more and more of in the next few years. Uh, and uh, who knows? Maybe the high-tech success that has been uh, Israel is slowly but surely starting uh, to create an opportunity uh, to create peace in the Middle East. So I think that's uh, very cool and very interesting. And uh, hope we'll see more of it uh, as we go forward. M, thank you so much for uh, sending the SMS. And I do hope that you'll go read the story. Uh, people who are doing things differently at the high-tech level, which we were talking about. Uh, check out uh, an article by Richard Behar uh, called Peace Through Profit. Um, I think that was uh, something different. Now, next time you are going to the south of Israel, make sure that uh, you check this out because uh, this is going to be uh, something very, very cool that you have to try it out. And what's more, it's being done by a former South African uh, we think about the south of Israel, you know, it's great if you're into the Dead Sea and the desert and uh, camels and it's hot and there's no water. And, you know, if you want to go to Beersheba, you could do that or the Gaza border or whatever. All of these things are available to you. Uh, but have you ever thought about going farming, right? So obviously in Israel, things are famous for being in the desert, uh, farming in the desert. But to go to a commercial farm is quite a pain, actually, because they're big and they're a proper commercial operation. They're not really there for tourists who want to see what's going on. So one man decided that it was time to change all of that. Uh, and he's created his own farm in the south of Israel, uh, kind of just just off of the Gaza border, uh, not very far, a few kilometers maybe, a few tens of kilometers. And uh, he has created his own farm, a fully-fledged farm, 15 different types of uh, tomatoes. Uh, he's got uh, multiple kinds of cucumbers, uh, strawberries, uh, all sorts of things, and all using the latest high-tech Israeli equipment to grow it. Uh, his name is Uri Alon, and... Uh, He's, uh, he's actually a South African, uh, can you believe it, from Krugersdorp, uh, and he's moved, some might say, if you're from Krugersdorp, that it doesn't look that different from the south of Israel, uh, but basically what's interesting about his farm is that he farms all of these different vegetables, as I told you, but, uh, and he uses all the latest Israeli methods, but he doesn't sell any of them, doesn't sell any of them, uh, well, at least not to shops in the way that you normally do, because what he does uh, is actually um, he actually sells it to tourists. So people come, often birthright groups, uh, but not only, and apparently from all different languages. He's got uh, guides, 15 different guides, and uh, they all do all sorts of different tours. 45,000 people come through every single year. Uh, and And as a person, you are able to go and pick everything out of what's known as the salad trail. That's the name of his farm. It's called the salad trail. And uh, you can go and you can eat the tomatoes off the vine. You can eat the strawberries, which, by the way, are not on, on the ground. They grow them in the air. Uh, and you can go and eat them. They've got a, a number of farm animals. They even have a dove coat. Can you believe that? They, somebody on the farm likes to sell uh, likes to sell. And doesn't like to say, he likes to race pigeons. 
so you can even race homecoming pigeons. And it's a great thing to see because you can actually see the drip irrigation system. You can see the way that they grow the tomatoes so that they get extra ones on each vine. They show you the bees, the special bio bees that they use to uh, help uh, you know, pollinate everything, uh, the, the special insects that they use on the strawberries to eat the other insects which are on the strawberries sort of uh, biocontrol methods uh, so everything between water fertilizer the whole gamut of food production that you expect from israel you can experience it for yourself and it has never tasted so good so if you uh, happen to find yourself in the negev uh, check out the salad trail and go see for yourself and more important taste for yourself uh, the miracle of uh, of food production in israel because it is very, very cool and uh, definitely uh, worth your time in that particular department. We we'll take a short break now and we'll be back just afterwards. To Coffee Addicts, I'm Adila, but you know me as Shmuel from Josie Blue. Are you hungry? I know we are to serve you. All our grab and go is made daily from the best quality fresh ingredients for you to enjoy. Josie Blue is very focused on giving you the continuous coffee experience at 17 Northfield Avenue, Glen Hazel. See you there. A frequency like no other. 101.9 Chai FM. You're back with 101.9 Chai FM. I'm Benji Shulman, uh, and this is the new Blue Review. And uh, it's good to be with you on this uh, Monday morning. Uh, and heading up towards the final few minutes of the show. And uh, if you still want to get in your messages, please let us know. 0618951019. Uh, you can also SMS us, SMS us 34519. And uh, we'll be happy to take any of your uh, comments. I uh, had some nice comments already on the show today. Now, I think some of you might know the story. But, you know, we just did have Hanukkah ended last night and people were taking uh, pictures uh, of, of Hanukkah. By the way, I happen to be one of the nights in Hanukkah. This amazing story. So there's a there's a shul in uh, Kiryat Gat, which is sort of in the central part of Israel. I was there. And at this shul, it's an Ashkenazi shul, but it has an Ethiopian-Israeli rabbi. Uh, and it's a very unusual shul for this purpose uh, and for this reason. And the shul itself was actually created by um, Holocaust survivors and and they came to Israel and created the shul and uh, f- for whatever reason they decided that uh, they liked this particular Ethiopian Israeli rabbi who's written his own uh, books on uh, Ethiopian Israeli uh, or Ethiopian Jewish rather uh, halakha and uh, he's a scholar and someone who talks and writes and he's a, a very very interesting guy if you if you're into that uh, history of the Ethiopian Jews. You should check him out. His name is Dr. Sharon Shalom. And uh, although this was a shul that was started by Holocaust survivors, uh, the there aren't that many left. In fact, there is one more left. And one of the things that we got to see uh, at the shul was the last Holocaust survivor of this shul uh, lighting the Hanukkah uh, uh, during during Hanukkah, which I thought was a, a very very special. Uh, as as far as I was concerned. But it wasn't quite what I wanted to tell you because what I wanted to tell you was the most unusual Hanukkah that I saw in Israel. And as you travel around the south, obviously one of the big things is the rockets, right? And everywhere you go, uh, people are dealing with the rockets in in different ways. And one of them uh, is an artist. His name is Yaron Bob. And, and uh, he... 
he was a, a he's a citizen of the South, and he had two very close uh, calls with uh, with rockets. Basically, they fell they fell very near him, and uh, he nearly died as uh, a result. And he wanted to do something about it. Now he's an art teacher, and he is a blacksmith. And so what he decided to do was turn the rockets into art and take this very negative force of the rocket and uh, create a, uh, a a artistic product from it. And so he started Rockets to Roses. And what he does is he goes around collecting these Kassam rockets that have exploded in different places. Uh, and, uh, and in fact, bits of the Iron Dome as well. You can also get bits of the Iron Dome. And he cuts them up. And principally, he makes roses out of them. Uh, there's a stick, and at the top there is a little flower, and uh, at the base of the rose is actually a map of Israel, and it isn't just stuck right in the middle, it's stuck right on the town of Sterot, where um, where you're able to, to obviously get the most rockets, <laughs> that's where he gets most of his supply from, uh, so you're actually able to... Uh, uh, you're actually able to 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 see where it is, and he makes these most beautiful pieces. Uh, and uh, perhaps the the two most unusual ones were two Hanukkiahs that he has created, uh, where where the roses uh, are also stems for for lighting uh, lights. And uh, and one of these little Hanukkiahs was given to Nikki Haley, uh, who of course has just finished her term. Uh, at the at the UN, she's resigning at the end of the year, uh, and so he gave uh, one of the Hanukkiahs to um, to her as a as a thank you gift for all of the work she's done on behalf of Israel at the UN. Now I'm not sure if he made it, but there's another one that I saw, which was also absolutely fascinating. At a yeshiva in the town of Sterot, and they've taken they haven't done anything artistic with it. They've just taken the actual rockets themselves uh, and t- turned them into a giant, enormous. Hanukkah, uh, which is on display on the roof of uh, of the of the yeshiva. So interesting to see what people are doing with rockets. Uh, and of course, you can buy these things if you want. Uh, they have necklaces, they have Hanukkahs, they have uh, just roses, they have all sorts of stuff. So if you want to have a look at that, go check out Rockets Into Roses uh, on on dot com, and uh, and just see what what you can do uh, with even a rocket. Brings us to the end of the show for today. Thank you so much for listening. Um, we really do appreciate it. Uh, if I don't see you next week, uh, it is a public holiday. Uh, so if you're not around, if you're enjoying it, if you've gone away, uh, please do enjoy. Please do travel safely on the South African roads, uh, which are tend to be a little bit dangerous this time of year and uh, just in general. Uh, so be safe, and we'll see you in the new year on the New Blue Review.